It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is time for another edition of the Roundtable. So we bring in one of my favorite guests, somebody that I love talking to about football and pretty much all things going on in the world, but mostly football because we're both long torture Jets fans. He's been on the podcast a bunch of times. I'm glad he's able to join me again. Published author, senior political correspondent over at National Review and host of the daily podcast, The Three Martini Lunch, Mr. Jim Garrity. Jim, welcome back to the podcast, sir. Scott, thank you for having me back. It's interesting because this should be the time of year when your interest in football is fading. Uh, although I guess maybe as a Jets fan, the post the off season is much more interesting than <laughs> there's a lot more hope and optimism in the off season than during the actual season. But I find myself like really conflicted as we head into this uh, into this off season. I was going to say, unfortunately, as Jets fans, these are the glory months for us, or at least it's been that way for the <laughs> bulk of the last decade. And so we're going to get into what you think the Jets should do to make the team better in 2020. But first, I just wanted to go over a couple of quick impressions from 2019. What'd you think of year number one from Gase and not quite a full year number one from Joe Douglas? Because obviously by the time he got here, the bulk of the general manager's work was done with the draft and free agency. But what are your early thoughts on him as well? Sure. So, you know, I was not thrilled at all with the Gase hire. Uh, In fact, I found it baffling and, and deeply troubling at the time. As the around, you know, about about a year ago, the off season uh, approached. I started to have a little bit more optimism. Preseason just looked pretty good. I was like, oh, okay, all right, maybe I'll come around. Maybe this will turn out well. Maybe he learned from his experience in Miami. And by week two, I thought this was a terrible idea. And I was, you know, and I, all any optimism I had for Gase was gone. As the year progressed, my opinion of uh, Adam Gase got lower and lower. My anger got worse and worse. He has not yet filed a restraining order, but I, I would not be surprised uh, if some of my Twitter rants have not spurred this. I, I remain unconvinced. It became very like I, I would have hired, fired him at one and seven. I, I really can't believe. Like I don't think you needed that long a time to figure out. Okay, this is not working out for the Jets. Um, I find you know Chris Johnson's announcement at one and seven. No, no, he's definitely coming back for next year. Um, struck me as just utterly baffling uh, and one of the reasons why you like as a Jet fan you resent all the mockery of the team and then when things like that happen you're like okay maybe everybody who makes fun of us has a really good point we really do make decisions that no other team would make um, then they went six and two on the back half and I have to give give Gase a little bit of credit for that uh, when I say a little bit it can be measured at the molecular level um, but uh you know, I, I would very much prefer a different coach. I still am not convinced that I know what Gase is good at. Um, 
but you know the the team did seem to have uh, a better better as the season went on. Yes, a lot of it had to do with the competition they were playing, but um, I, I would really love to. I, I would love. Sorry, it's like that old X Files poster. I want to believe, <laughs> which is not the same as I believe. I would like to believe in Adam Gase. At this point, I don't, but. Uh, He's going to be the Jets coach, so we just have to hope that the talent on the team rises above the coaching. And if that's going to happen, it's going to be because Joe Douglas was able to put together a proper roster. What do you think? Is he going to be able to do that? Yeah, I mean, like, obviously the the book on this guy is pretty good. He seems very respected around the league. It is worth remembering that Mike McKagan was fairly respected around the league when this started, and uh, we find ourselves being, uh, I, I you know, as I went through my, my proof, sense of what the Jets ought to do in the offseason. I just found one asinine decision and one bad contract after another. Um, I could say cautiously optimistic about Joe Douglas. No, not all of his moves worked out. Ryan Khalil was, you know, seemed good at the time. Uh, Clearly did not have enough gas in the tank. Um, You know, look, it is the good news about the situation of the Jets is that for having, you know, you you went seven and nine. Disappointment, but still an improvement over the previous year by three games. You're drafting 11th, which is not that bad, considering how you're 7-9. and nine. And you have, you know, you're not trying to make some mid-transition you know, uh, of, of bringing in a new GM. Now we get to see, by this time next year, Scott, we will have a much better sense of who Joe Douglas is, what he can, is capable of doing as a GM, what his philosophy is, what, you know, whether he's the kind of guy who can pull the trigger on a trade, whether he's a gambler, whether he plays it safe, um, we'll know a lot more, and hopefully we'll be in a much better place. We're going to find out more about Joe Douglas and who he really is, but hopefully we're going to find out more about Sam Darnold and who he really is because this year a lot of people have said the offensive line really held him back. We know that he had mono. We saw some progression, but it wasn't quite the huge leap that a lot of us were hoping for. What do you think we're going to see in year three with Sam Darnold? Are you optimistic that he can make that leap? Yeah, I mean, like my, I would say my assessment of Darnold this year was, yes, he was, in terms of the numbers, he improved, not a ton, nowhere near what we were hoping for, but also, like, I think when you have a coach who's allegedly an offensive genius and who's allegedly a quarterback whisperer, um, I think you have a right to expect more out of Sam Darnold. There were some moments in those late games where I was, um, sorry, I still believe Sam Darnold is the guy. Uh, but every once in a while, he would make a decision. He would kind of force it into there, into a throwing a double coverage or something, and just you'd see him make a bad decision, and you, you know, um, and you'd just feel a little frustrated. I'm not saying I have really any doubts about Darnold, um, but I still, you know, again, okay, you had your rookie year, you had your first second year with a new, a new head coach. Now we need to see it, Sam. Now we really need to see you make that uh, that significant step forward. I do believe you're right that the offensive line, lack of a running game, drop passes, stupid penalties. You know, there are so many times where the Jets did not do what you know did not put Sam Darnold in a good position to win. You want your quarterback facing a lot of like third and fives, and not third and fifteens. And uh, I think Sam Darnold showed sufficient progress, but I think it's fair to also expect a lot more in the coming year. I agree, Jim, and I think it's fair to expect more from Darnold's health this season as well, since I would assume he's not going to get mono, and if he wants to stay healthy, he should make sure that he goes ahead and samples the products at Omax Health, because Omax Health is all about making you feel better. 
If you're living with chronic pain, you know how terrible it is. Constant discomfort, it can keep you from exercising, sleeping, or even eating. So if you're dealing with chronic muscle and joint pain, then make sure you try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution, cryo-free CBD roll-on, developed by Omax Health. It's non-prescription, it's an easy roll-on, it's 100% natural, and it works within 10 minutes. And here's the best part, as a listener of Play Like a Jet, you get a 20% off discount on a full bottle of cryo-free CBD pain relief roll-on and free shipping. Discount also applies towards any product site-wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter promo code OVERTIME. That's omaxhealth, O-M-A-X health.com, promo code OVERTIME, and you'll get yourself 20% off cryo-freeze and anything site-wide. And while you certainly want to keep your body healthy, you definitely want to keep your home healthy, and that's why you want to go to Simply Safe. Every night, local police departments across America receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms. The vast majority of the time, they have no idea whether the alarm's real. Is there really a crime going on or not? All the alarm company can tell them is that the motion sensor went off. But Simply Safe gives you a much higher level of home security. If there's a break-in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. That means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. You get comprehensive protection for your entire home, 24-7 monitoring by live security professionals. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash overtime and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they know Play Like a Jet sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime. Now, we've gotten through 2019. We've talked about Sam Darnold. We've talked about Adam Gase. We've talked about Joe Douglas. Let's talk about what we're hoping to see and what we think we may see in 2020. And you wrote up a very detailed plan for what you'd like to see the Jets do. Now, to be fair, obviously we know that not all of this can happen. This is more of a dream scenario. So we're going to go through this bit by bit. I wanted to know where you would start in terms of the internal free agents. Who do you want to keep? Who do you want to let go? And if there are guys you want to keep, what kind of contracts are you looking to give them? Sure. Well, the first thing I should start out is for anybody who wants to go through this exercise themselves, overthecap.com is terrific, has uh, all of the available information about each person's uh, uh, contract, how many years remain, the cap hit, and all that stuff. And that's where I I thought I really didn't like Mike McKagan. Once I started doing research into this, then I really hated Mike McKagan. Um, And perhaps I can start with the biggest and clearest example. Uh, Tremaine Johnson, a signing of a cornerback two seasons ago, who when he was signed, I was like, finally, we went out and we made a big free agent splash. I'm so excited. Tremaine Johnson stunk for the better part of two years. He was really eh, maybe okay that first year and just terrible this year. And the depressing thing was that once they had that superstar big contract cornerback on the bench, the Jets secondary got better. Um, Scott, the only way I can put it is that getting rid of Tremaine Johnson is kind of like trying to sell a timeshare. The (laughs) the contract is that complicated and has that many catches and stuff. The the short version is you cut him before March 20th. The good news is you get $3 billion in in additional cap space. And that's good, right? We want to have a lot of cap space. We want to head into free agency with a whole bunch of, you know, be able to hire the guy, get out and get the players you want. 
you got a nine, I'm sorry, twelve million dollars in dead money, and that's. And by the way, if you say, okay, well, I'll wait after March 20th, it gets worse. <laughs> so the crazy idea I had put out there, and I saw some folks on Twitter not liking it or finding it far fetched. Trade Tremaine Johnson for anything. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I borderline like, hmm, do you have some Gatorade? We'll trade him for that. Um, no, but like a seventh-round pick, anybody who you think has potential, and then see if you can get somebody else to pay as part of that base salary. Um, is this likely to happen? I don't know. But you know what, Scott, we live in a world where Dave Gettleman traded a third-round pick for uh, Leo Williams. So there's always a chance somebody out there might say, hmm, that guy's still got potential. My coach can get more out of him than the Jets coaches can. And maybe that's the way you minimize the cap hit of Tremaine Johnson. But I think that's the first one that goes. Uh, and there are a bunch of players who you look around this roster and you're like, man, they're, spending, they're making a decent amount of money. Brian Winters didn't like when he was kind of, you know, wagging his finger at Sam Darnold over some sort of uh, uh, missed blocking scheme. Goodbye. Daryl Roberts, you know, he wasn't bad, but I don't think he's, you know, uh, I think we have better options at, at cornerback. Uh, Josh Bellamy, nah, just another guy. Psh, psh, psh. Um, you do those, you free up another $15 million in cap room. Uh, you know, continuing down the list, Quincy Nunwa is a guy who I'd love to see come back, but uh, honestly, that's, uh, you, 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 that's $2.4 million you probably could spend on a guy who's going to be able to contribute this year. Um, the one that I really struggled with, and my first instinct going into this exercise was, no, I love Avery Williamson. It's not his fault he had an ACL injury. You know, I loved all the things he did on social media, walking around New York in his full Jets uniform. This is a great guy. I'd love to have him. And then you look at that. He's getting $6 million this year. In addition to the, um, you know, Scrooge McDuck money pit that they're playing, that they're paying to C.J. Mosley. And you're like, God, you know, that's, that's a lot of money to have wrapped up in your inside linebackers. And then you look back and you remember, you know, last year, Neville Hewitt was pretty good. Uh, Cashman, you know, he showed, he showed us something until he got hurt. Do you really need $6 million wrapped up in that second, your second best inside linebacker? So in my plan, I was like, okay, I'm letting Avery Williamson go. I hate to do it, but uh, I think you, you, you go through this, you, cut up, you add up to $77 million in cap room. At that point, you feel like you should be able to make a, quite a bit of splash. Now, before we get to the players that you want to extend, I have to say, first of all, I would try to keep Avery Williamson, but just restructure his contract. I think that the drop-off from him to Neville Hewitt was actually a pretty big drop-off, particularly in pass coverage. I think that Williamson and C.J. Mosley would be one of the best inside linebacker tandems in the league, and I would hate to see him go. So I would try to rework the deal. Also, come on now, we're going to compare Tremaine Johnson to Leonard Williams. For whatever anybody wants to say about Leonard Williams, he's still a very good, productive player. <laughs> Tremaine Johnson at this point, I guess he's just cashing the checks and whatever, so good for him. But my goodness, he could not have been more of a money pit, as you said, as a member of the New York Jets. So I don't think anybody is trading for Tremaine Johnson. You're just going to have to go ahead, take the pain, cut him. You'll save $3 million, but you're going to have to eat the $12 million, which is not ideal, but it is what it is. So now, as we get into your extensions that you would be looking to do, you've got $77 million to work with. So let's start with that. Who are you bringing back? Mm -hmm. So I, I should point out the reaction on Twitter. If you, if I, and look, I, I don't do this for a living, right? I, I cover politics for a living. This was my, okay, I think we can get guys at roughly what they're making now. And a bunch of people on Twitter said, I think fairly, Jim, you're not going to get these guys by what they're paying now, nor are you going to get anything slightly more than what they're going to get now. 
Um, I don't know if the numbers I saw thrown around really make that much sense. But I think the first one that comes to time, the, the best paid of the guys you want to bring them back, Brian Poole, uh, our nickelback cornerback, um, he had a very solid year. He's getting paid $3.5 million. I don't know if there's going to be a huge market for a guy who you really want to specialize as your nickelback. But, uh, but maybe, you know, maybe you do. Um, Brandon Copeland currently making $1.45 uh, You know, I don't fit, you know, I, I get a very nice year. Um, I don't know if he's in the, the kind of, you know, market where, like, where people, somebody's going to say, okay, let's start throwing millions and millions at him. But, you know, maybe some team out there does. Uh, Neville Hewitt currently making $1.5 million. You'd like to think you wouldn't need to make a giant payment. He, like I said, he was good. I don't think he was this you know, giant one. Um, if he really chooses to walk, then maybe you decide to keep uh, then making uh, then keeping Williamson becomes a slightly easier one. Uh, Jordan Jenkins, by the way, all, all of our linebackers, <laughs> all these young guys, you're like, yeah, they held the fort pretty well. Uh, all, all have their contracts run out this year. This is probably what's keeping Joe Douglas up at night. Um, he's making, Jordan Jenkins is making 2.2 million. Uh, running back Ty Montgomery is currently making less than a million dollars, eight hundred ninety-five thousand. Uh, now I got to check with you, Scott. Was Ty Montgomery on the team last year? In twenty nineteen, it didn't feel like yeah. it, did it? <laughs> I, I just, I'm saying that tongue in cheek, but like because you look, <laughs> we saw a lot of him in preseason, and then the regular season started, and I don't know if he knocked up Adam, Adam Gase's daughter or you know <laughs> he did something. We're men. We almost never saw Ty Montgomery get any uh, get much much play. Um, so I, I, I was he, he looked good in preseason. I thought he was going to be a nice change of pace back and uh, did a little bit of kick returns here and there. But uh, you know, so I'd like to bring him back. Eight hundred ninety-five thousand dollars right now is an extraordinarily great price for a guy who seems like he could be your your solid number two back. Um, I can't imagine that you know that based on what he did this year, everybody's knocking down the door to pay him more. But you know, we'll see. Um, Alex Lewis, who I think was one of our better offensive lineman this past season that's a really low bar to clear uh currently is under contract for two million you know that doesn't strike me as a you know that strikes me as a rel- I, I can't imagine there's a bunch of people who are ready to double alex lewis's pay or something like that uh lock edwards you know solid guy making less than a million you, sh- you know shouldn't spend a lot of money on your punter and they should be fine um, Frankie Louvu, he's currently making $301,000 a year. He's my dad's favorite player. I think it's just because of the name. Uh, but he has some nice moments here and there. He seems like a bargain. So I'd say, yeah, bring back all these guys. Now I'm like, okay, they're currently making 12.75. Let's round up to 15 million. And a lot of people think I'm crazy that, that they're di- di- re-signing all these guys who cost way more than 15 million. So if you want to look at my plan and say, okay, here's where Jim made his first really unrealistic assumption. That probably is it. Yeah, I think that's fair to say because, Jim, I think you can look at the players that you want to bring back and separate that from the amount of money that you said that they would be getting because the reason that somebody like Jordan Jenkins, for instance, is only making $2.2 million is because he's on his third-round rookie deal. Once he becomes an unrestricted free agent, probably looking at a contract worth between 8 and $10 million a year. Now, we could have a discussion as to whether or not he's worth it, but I think that's where the disconnect comes in here with a player like, say, Jordan Jenkins or even Brian Poole. He's on a one-year $3.5 million deal. But he was signed after having a so-so run with the Atlanta Falcons. He was so good in the slot this year that a lot of people said he was a top five slot corner. So I would expect him to get 
at least double the amount of money that he got in 2019. So we can bicker over numbers, but the important part of this is the guys that you would like to keep and the guys that you would like to bring in. And so let's get to that. The external free agents. There are a couple of guys on the list here, and we'll talk about the contract part of this because, again, I think your numbers might have been a little bit off, but you had some interesting ideas as to who the Jets should go out and get in the offseason externally. Yeah, so it was interesting because well, I should also point out um, this was I wrote I wrote this up. I've been thinking about this pretty much since the season ended, or even before the season ended. Um, <laughs> put it together, and then uh, your distinguished colleague Dalvin Osorio writes his own plan, and it's really good. <laughs> it overlaps a lot with what I had in mind, <laughs> and so my reaction was, "Dang it!" <laughs> if I submit this, these guys are going to have pretty much oh, so you just want to do mostly what what uh, what DA wanted to do. The, the end result was, and also I think Joe Caparoso also talked about some of these ideas, like bringing back uh, Kelvin Beecham. So I tried to focus on what I was going to do differently. I don't love bringing back Kelvin Beecham. No offense to uh, Mr. Beecham. Um, but I, there is a certain logic to it in that he's, you know, you look at free, first of all, it's left tack, free agent left tackles. Teams don't let them go away. There's this really slim pickings to improve this position in free agency. Um I don't know, you know, you're going to need a significant chunk of change, and there were some very frustrating games from Kelvin Beecham, but he also had some very solid games. And so if you want to go into the rest of free agency not needing a left tackle, you know, you probably want to re-sign Kelvin Beecham. The other one that I thought was, you know, but if you do want to sign a free agent, the only one out there who looks like a significant upgrade over uh, over Beecham is Anthony Constanzo of the Colts. Now, he's a little long in the tooth. He's in his 10th season, but he's played very, very, very solid. Now, the thing is, is that, oh, there's a really solid left uh, free agent left, tack- uh, left tackle hitting the free agent market. That's going to cost you. Um, now, I had went through and decided, okay, three years, $16 million a year. Um, it's a big chunk, but now, you're, now you've got a solid left tackle to protect uh, Sam Darnold, and I really like that. <laughs> now, look, by the way, keep in mind, before we go through this, any one of these guys, you could sign them and they end up twisting a knee, tear an ACL, and that's that for, that's it for the year. Any one of them could turn into another C.J. Mosley. So I recognize, yeah, every time you decide to put a lot of financial resources into one player at one position, you're making a big gamble. On the other hand, I think the lesson of free agency often is you get what you pay for, and sometimes you get a lot less than what you paid for. Um, but I really went into free agency desperately wanting to upgrade the offensive line. I wanted to go into the draft not needing any position, and that meant we're going to go bonkers and we're going to spend a lot of money on free agency on the offensive line under the Garrity plan. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Under the Garrity plan, there are a couple of new offensive linemen that would be acquired. One of them is Joe Thune, who's currently with the Patriots. You have the Jets getting him for $5 million a year. This is, again, where I think your numbers are a little bit off because Thune's probably going to get double that. Brandon Scherf, who is the apple of a lot of people's eye and I think maybe one of the top targets for Joe Douglas if he becomes available on the open market. You've got him going for $6 million a year. I'd be surprised if he gets less than 14 or $15 million a year. So that's where some of this is a little bit off Costanzo as well. Yeah. But I think those are all really good targets. It's a matter of can the Jets get any of them because let's be real, realistically, the Jets need new players all along the offensive line. You could make the argument for bringing Beecham back just for lack of better options, but then again, Beecham is out on Twitter more or less openly criticizing Adam Gase, so he doesn't seem like a guy that wants to come back. Yes, you know, 
Therefore, you have to start thinking about other options. Now, we know that the Jets are going to go into the draft looking to do some stuff at offensive line, but we won't talk about that yet because you want to see what they do in free agency first before you make the determination of how much of their draft resources they're going to put into the offensive line. But I think that your plan is which is very heavy on acquiring offensive line talent, is good. They need to go out and get a bunch of new offensive linemen, whether it ends up being Costanzo, Joe Thune, Brandon Scherf, or BJ Finney, who you have here. Mickey White, your co-host on the Jim and Mickey show, would not be happy about this because you'd be stealing them away from the Pittsburgh Steelers. But under this plan, you would have four new starters in free agency. I don't know that that's realistic, but it's certainly a good goal to have. Yeah, I mean, in a way, one of my, you know, one element of this thought exercise was, could I have an entirely new offensive line starting on the first game of 2020? And, you know, people are like, oh, you know, teams very rarely want to change more than two. Well, the Jets really should change more than two. <laughs> uh, there, were, there were some guys like Alex Lewis. And, but, you know, really Jonathan Harrison, like the guy who all of us kind of went into this season thinking, Ugh, you know, no confidence in whatsoever ended up being a better player than, than Ryan Khalil as the, as the season went on. So some of these guys I'm fine with for depth. Chuma Adoga, I, I don't think he was, I don't think he had a great year. I don't think he had a terrible year. You know, there was some, he had some good games. Look, play, starting a tackle as a rookie is not easy. So, I, you know, he could be a piece of the puzzle going down the road. That having been said, I don't think there's anybody in the offensive line where I'm like, yes, we have that position locked down and taken care of for the next couple of years um, based on what they did this year. So, yeah, this was really ambitious. I probably am drastically underestimating that. The only thing I make to say in my defense is that for a long time, the NFL, if you're going to spend money in the offensive line, the two positions for your first choice is left tackle, because for most quarterbacks, that's the blind side. Maybe your next one is center. And then the sense was that guards were kind of, eh, you know, they're all roughly about the same. Uh, you didn't want. You don't want to draft a guard in the first round. You don't want to spend too much money on guards. Now you're right. Uh, uh, Scherf and Thune might be so darn good that somebody decides to break the bank and create an eight-figure-a-year uh, salary for these guys. In fact, considering where the NFL free agency works, they probably will. So the second point where you want to say, Jim, you're crazy. You know that those are probably that. That having been said, if you get like two of these four guys that I've mentioned, you've probably upgraded the Jets' offensive line considerably. Now we get to wide receiver, and this is interesting. The deal that Dalvin Asario had in his plan, as you outline in yours here, was four years, $52 million with $26 million guaranteed, which I think is probably right about in line with what Robbie is looking at here because it's a very thin free agent market for wide receivers. Robbie is the best one. There are a lot of teams that could use him. There are two teams where he has roots. One of them is Philadelphia because he went to college at Temple, so he could be looking to go back to Philly. The Eagles try to trade for him twice, so that's a possibility. Lord knows they could use help at wide receiver for Carson Wentz. And then, of course, his old college coach, Matt Rule, is in Carolina now, so that could be a possibility as well. But if not, he could be a major target for the New York Jets to try and bring him back, retain him, and continue to build on that rapport that he's got with Sam Darnold. However, you have an idea about a way that they could go if they don't 
spend that money on Robbie Anderson, and that is Amari Cooper from the Dallas Cowboys. Now, I'm going to let you talk about this a little bit, but I think that your numbers here are a little more realistic because you have 18 or $19 million a year going to Amari Cooper, which I think is probably around what he would command. The only question here, of course, is whether or not he shakes free from Dallas. I'm not so sure that happens, but if it does, this could be an interesting possibility. Yeah, so let me walk through it, but you know, all of the things being equal, I would really like to bring back Robbie Anderson, right? I, I have cheered for him for the last few years. When Robbie Anderson is having a good game, he is one of the most exciting Jets to watch in, in many years. Um, I think the, the problem is that, you know, I, I think he probably, the last two years we've seen him have like six or seven really good games. And then we've had like four or five, six games where he kind of disappears, you know, two catches for 30 yards or something. And then we have some other games that are kind of in the middle. And so with the answer, you know, there's been this debate, and I've seen it brewing on Turn on the Jets and on you know, various Jets fans on Twitter. You know, is Robbie Anderson a true number one receiver? And I think the answer is it depends on the week. Uh, he's not consistently a number one wide receiver. So you look at that. I, th- I think everything you said about the free mar- agent market is completely true. And the, the theory that uh, Osario put forth, like a four-year, $52 million deal, that comes out to about $13 million a year. You know, that's probably what he's going to command. And if I were Joe Douglas, I don't know how great I would feel about spending 13 to 14 million on a guy who is inconsistently great, shall we say, right? I mean, he'll give you some great games, but he also will just have some, some very quiet games. And, uh, you know, a lot of this is relating to other issues on the offense. But in other words, if we're going to spend big on a wide receiver, I want a guy who is an indisputable true number one rarely has quiet games, you know, okay, the kind of guy that the other team's defense has to worry, you know, lays awake at night worrying about the week before the game. Um, the, the, you know, Anderson is one of the best of this, uh, of this, you know, free agent wide receiver group. I think Cooper is the best. Now, people have pointed out that he kind of, you know, he had a great start to the season and kind of left off. Um, you know, my attitude is if you're going to spend big on a wide receiver, get a guy who is going to be consistently great. And I think Cooper is that better offer. I, you know, the idea of Sam Donald throwing to Amari Cooper, along with some of these other decisions I want to make in the wide receiving group, you know, strikes me as a serious uh, you know, sort of thing you can really get excited about. Um, we've seen Sam Donald with, with Robbie Anderson. They have some great games. They have some stuff like that Dallas game where you're like, Whoa, you know, that, that huge one. And we've seen ones where it just seems like Robbie just can't seem to get separation and nothing seems to work out. Um, you know, a little bold, a little crazy, but there's a, I guess my fear is that the Jets spend the $13 million for Robbie Anderson and they keep getting what they've been getting from him, which is <sighs> underwhelming considering what you'd be spending for him in this circumstance. I think Cooper would be a fantastic signing if he hits the market, and I would much rather pay him eighteen or nineteen million than pay Robbie thirteen or fourteen. I just don't know that Amari Cooper is going to hit the market because the Cowboys made such a huge investment in him, giving up a first round pick, and he's built such a rapport with Dak Prescott. I think that they would want to have him there for the beginning of the Mike McCarthy era, but we'll see if he does shake loose. The Jets very well may go after him in free agency, or they may think that at number 11, they could go after one of those wide receivers or even in the second round because it's such a deep wide receiver class. So that'll be something to keep our eye on. In addition to what the Jets are going to do at backup, 
I don't think Trevor Simeon's going to be back, but I guess crazier things have happened. Certainly Luke Falk is not coming back through that door, and thank God for that, right? So you've outlined a bunch of guys here that you think could be interesting candidates for the position in 2020. Walk me through that. Yeah, so when the Jets signed Trevor Simeon as their backup in the previous offseason, I was like, eh, okay, I remember him from Denver. He, he had some good games. Um, and then he got the start in that second week because Darnold had mono. And, Scott, I don't know about you, I blinked, so I missed the Trevor Simeon era um, as he was quarterback <laughs> of the Jets. I, I exaggerate slightly. He played a quarter and, and a little bit more, and then um, – uh, who was it for the – somebody like just like bent his leg. Miles made, Garrett. Oh, there you go. But, hey, it's not like Miles Garrett would do anything else controversial, you know, <laughs> would, would ever, you know, do something that would uh, no, you know, never. attack a quarterback in an unfair way. Um, so you look at that. I, I'm not I, – I, I feel no real appetite to bring back Trevor Simeon. I, you know, maybe this is a little unfair to him, but I just – I've got really nothing to go on other than the preseason games. Um, and I think that it's safe to say that, look – this is the National Football League. There's a good chance you'll lose your quarterback for a certain number of games. It's just the nature of the game. Darnold has lost, has missed three games in each of the past two seasons. And I just don't want to be in a situation where, God forbid, that, you know, Darnold gets hurt or he, you know, catches mono, uh, you know, mono, I guess you can't get mono twice, but, you know, some sort of extraordinarily rare disease. This, this um, coronavirus coming over from China, you know, some sort of really <laughs> terrible thing happens to Darnold, he's not available, I'd like to be in a situation where you're like, well, we're losing every game until he comes back. Um, so you look at the free agent uh, quarterback market, obviously the Jets aren't going to go out and sign Tom Brady or any of those, you know, uh, superstar plans. And man, you know, uh, Scott, I'll just point out, Chad Henney, Drew Stanton, Mike Glennon, Brett Hundley. Did you know these are all separate individuals? <laughs> I, I thought they were all just the same guy with different uniforms wearing on. So, yeah, so there are a bunch of guys where you're like, oh, that guy's been around the league for a while, and, yeah, he's probably a competent game. Like, I wouldn't, you know, like, there are a whole bunch of backup quarterbacks in this league who are utterly indistinguishable and who are probably okay if the rest of your team is working all right, but you don't want to bet winning a game on their arm. Um, but the one guy that really intrigued me, and I have no idea if he's, you know, still yearning to be a starter or something, but uh, Marcus Mariota who a couple of years ago when he was coming out in the draft, there was a little bit of rumors of the Jets trying to trade up to get him. I remember him just looking like a phenom at, at Oregon, uh, University of Oregon. And I, I would have said, boy, this is a guy who is destined for stardom at the, uh, at the NFL level. He's not having a, he has not had a great career in, in uh, Tennessee. Obviously, I think everyone you know, listening probably recognizes that replaced by Ryan Tannehill halfway through the season. And strangely enough, Ryan Tannehill, when he's not being coached by Adam Gase, is apparently phenomenal. Um, but it wasn't that long ago that Mariota was having a very solid season, completing almost 70% of his passes, 92.8 passer rating. Um, if you need, you know, the idea of Marcus Mariota on the bench for the Jets, and you know, Darnold, God forbid, gets hit, he's going to miss a few games, I really like that. With Mariota, you don't have to go to, okay, let's hand the ball off a bunch of times and we're only going to pass it on third down. I had, you know, I have no idea if Mariota is like, no, I'm only going to some place where I'm going to start. Uh, most NFL backup quarterbacks are not making phenomenal amounts of money. I penciled him in with a $3 million a year deal. I don't know if that's, which would be, by the way, would be a lot by a lot of league standards for a backup quarterback. That having been said, I don't know if there's going to be a huge amount of interest in Marcus Mariota or no interest in Marcus Mariota in this year. But that's kind of the one that strikes me as an intriguing uh, one. And it, oh, he's, he's just at that level where you feel really confident in him, 
but he's not so good that he would start a quarterback controversy uh, when he came into camp. I like Marcus Mariota as a reclamation project. I just don't know that the Jets are the right spot for him. I also think he would probably cost a little more than they would be willing to pay him, but I think that Mariota needs to go somewhere with an offensive coordinator that's really willing to tailor the offense to his strengths. That's right. Okay, we have the wrong coach. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think your, your, your point is very accurate that, you know, I have no indication that Gase would say, okay, let's tailor our, our offensive game plan to the, to the strengths of our quarterback. He was willing to do that for Darnold. Yeah, that's the problem, I think, with Gase is that he's a tad inflexible. He might want to work on that going forward. But, yeah, I think Mariota is a great reclamation project. Just not sure that the Jets are the right spot for that. You had a couple of bottom-of-the-roster turnover-type moves that you wanted to utilize to save a few bucks on the cap as well. You want to run through those? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is one of those things, like, you know, a lot of this came down of, okay, what can we do with this cap space? And if you think my offers to some of those top-tier offensive linemen were a little low, well, maybe it's because I ran out of cap money while doing this and then said, well, maybe we can get that guy for a million a year less. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the, uh, but you look at the bottom of it. You know, if you're like, oh, my goodness, we need a few more million, Jordan Willis is making $865,000 a year. Really didn't make much of an impact. Ross Travis, I didn't even know he was on the roster, $735. Bronson Kafusi, same amount. Brett Maher, did you know he was one of our, on our roster as a kicker? $660,000. Kenneth Dixon. So if you find yourself needing an extra million, you can go to these bottom-of-the-roster guys and say, all right, it's been nice knowing you. You've been great in practice. See ya. Uh, and maybe free up a little bit of space. Now, is it going to be the sort of thing where you could you know, clear up tens of millions? No, but you can – you can move around a little bit. These are guys at the bottom of the roster. Like, if I've never heard of your name, I think we can cut you without doing too much damage. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Now let's talk about the draft. Now, we don't have to get into specific picks because it's way too early for that. We don't know what's going to go on with the whole pre-draft process. So many things are going to be fluid and change. But what do you think the overall philosophy should be? Are there specific players that you have your eye on, at least for the first pick at number 11? Because we can't really get too deep into yeah. the weeds. We're going to talk about a couple of guys that you might like in later rounds, just as a general point. But we can't say, oh, I think he would be great at such and such pick. Who are some guys you have your eye on, and what do you think about the number 11 pick? You know, Scott, I'm talk I was just, it's good we're talking about this today because I was looking at somebody, I think it was NFL.com, somebody has a mock draft up there, and they have the Jets selecting a defensive lineman. Now, I don't know if this guy has some sort of like macro program that he uses and he just never updates it, um, or, or just believes that traditionally the Jets always drafted defensive linemen with their first-round pick, regardless of circumstances, <laughs> regardless of player available, something like that. Um, I think... The first round pick needs to be an offensive player, and I really you know, the nice thing about being in this situation is the Jets really need offensive linemen, and they really need a wide receiver. Do we need cornerbacks? Yes, it would be nice to get that. Do we need uh, an outside edge rusher? Yes, we need that. But really, we really need a, to help out our offense. I think the, the other than Darnold, we'd selected defensive player in the first round was like eight of the last nine years or something. Um, we've really undervalued the the, the uh, offensive line. Um, so I, you look at that, there are five players who I think there's a chance will be there at 11. Andrew Thomas, the tackle out of Georgia, uh, who most people say is the best offensive tackle in, uh, in the league or in the draft. And that if he was that early on when the Jets had a worse number, a worse record, and it looked like we were getting at a top five pick, uh, he was someone I was hoping for. 
Uh, the other two great uh, tackles in this draft look like Jedrick Wills, tackle out of Alabama, Tristan Wirfs, tackle out of Iowa. I'll be honest, I don't watch a ton of college football. My sense is that all three of these guys, if they're not interchangeably good, then they're all pretty darn good. Probably the sort of guys you can plug in as a starter. Man, yeah, may a little bit of growing pains as they adjust to life in the NFL, but they're, you're going to be pretty happy with them. And the upside is, you know, they turn into the next Debrickershaw Ferguson. You know, you got a solid left tackle or right tackle for the next 10 years. Sounds terrific. Um, the other two are at wide receiver, uh, Jerry Judy uh, out of Alabama and CeeDee Lamb out of Oklahoma. A bunch of the mock drafts of the Jets taking these guys. You know, I, first of all, I'd be unpleasantly surprised if none of these players were available at 11 because I know we know there's going to be some sort of run on quarterbacks. Um, if they're not, then i got to scramble around a little bit. But uh, my, my sense is – and then you're starting to trade down options and things like that. And if the Jets trade down, then, yeah, okay, maybe you can spend some – you know, you can spend that first-round pick on, an, on a cornerback or on an edge rusher or something like that. But uh, I really would like to – uh, see the Jets focus heavily on offense. Uh, when I went through the um, the draft simulator, I ended up with uh, uh, CeeDee Lamb, who I think would be perfectly fine. I'd really love to get Jerry Judy, and a couple of uh, mock drafts have him going down there. Probably won't be available, but stranger things have happened. Um, so then I started, you know, Julian Okara, edge rusher and linebacker, uh, Jeff Gladney, cornerback TCU, Trey Adams, tackle of Washington, Anthony McFarlane, running back, and Chase Claypool, wide receiver. You really can't count on getting starters past the fourth round. I'm always envious of these teams who are starting fifth rounders and sixth rounders and all that stuff. But uh, I figure that with four picks in the first three rounds, all of those players should be ready to make a significant contribution, if not week one, then fairly early in the season. And if you've got anybody who seems like a project in the third round, you've probably made a terrible mistake. Or if, say, you end up cutting your third-round pick like polite, then it's a sign you've made a terrible error as a general manager. The mock draft you're talking about, by the way, is Daniel Jeremiah over at NFL.com. And the player is an edge rusher. So to be fair, it's not like he's giving them an interior defensive lineman here. He's saying that they would be trying to solve the edge rusher problem that they've had for quite a while. I will say that I wouldn't love picking a defensive player unless it was an otherworldly player at a position of need. So in other words, if the Jets were able to get Chase Young, absolutely do that. Yeah. If the yeah, Jets were exactly. able to get Jeff Okuda, absolutely do that. But short of that, I would prefer that they go offense at number 11 if they're not trading down. In this particular scenario, and I'm not so sure that this is going to happen, but we're just playing theoreticals. Jeremiah's got four offensive tackles going in the top 10. Jedrick Wills from Alabama, Makai Becton from Louisville, who I'm a huge fan of. He's got Becton going all the way at number four. I was hoping that Becton could last to the second round. But again, as we said, Jim, these things are fluid. Who knows where these guys will actually end up going? Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, he's got going in the top 10. And Andrew Thomas, he's got going with the 10th pick just ahead of the Jets to the Cleveland Browns. And I've been saying this for a while. If the Jets find themselves in a situation where there's one offensive tackle that they like that's still on the board at number nine, they really should jump the Browns and go up to number nine and grab that guy because you know the Browns are picking him and you don't want to miss out on the guy if you really believe in him, especially 
if one of your major goals of the 2020 offseason is to rebuild that offensive line, they could go wide receiver. This is a very deep wide receiver draft. There's a lot of interesting options here. Isaiah Simmons is a phenomenal player. I'm not so sure Jets fans would be very happy if they picked him only because he's a safety linebacker hybrid. And even though I think he could be incredibly exciting in Greg Williams' defense and be a tremendous partner for Jamal Adams back there, Jets fans are probably not going to like picking a player at that position, especially after all the years of ignoring offense and not getting an edge rusher. So we'll see how it shakes out, but definitely an interesting plan overall, Jim. I give you kudos for putting all of this together. Like I said, the only real bone I have to pick is the amount of money that you sign to each player. But as you said, let's go easy on you. This isn't something you do for a living. You're not Jason Fitzgerald from OverTheCap.com. So we can cut you a little bit of slack on that. But I like the overall tenor of the plan. Anything else that you would add to what we just talked about that wasn't in the article? Yeah. Um, well, I just want to note your your you're accurate about the, the, the NFL.com one. He had CeeDee Lamb going in the next pick to the Raiders. Mm-hmm. And if you, by the way, by the way the, I guess you can see, you know, when you're looking at the overall roster under my crazy plan of trying to sign Amari Cooper, et cetera, you know, starting week one, assuming no injuries, the Jets head into the, the season with a wide receiver core of, uh, of CeeDee Lamb, uh, Amari Cooper, and Jamison Crowder. Um, and if that doesn't, you know, uh, cause defensive coordinators to wake up screaming in a cold sweat in the middle of the night, I don't know what does. Um, the, so the, my, my plan was to go out and you got, okay, three great wide receivers, uh, in that, uh, the, the, the NFL one, they had, a, given a choice between a solid outside rusher and a solid wide receiver. Um, I think I'd much rather have the solid wide receiver. And the other thing I would note is that, uh, this is, this goes double if for some reason you don't sign Amari Cooper and you don't have, um, Robbie Anderson back. Um, Beyond, and again, beyond that, I think you really do need, you know, at least one offensive lineman in those first four picks, probably two. I think your attitude about, you know, I've always had the philosophy of, look, if you really believe somebody is the guy that you believe is going to be, you know, particularly at, at quarterback, left tackle, shutdown corner, or some sort of, you know, uh, monster on the, on, you know, the defensive line or linebacker, then yes, go out and get those guys. Trade up if you have to. If you really believe that's going to be it, you know that's going to be the one. Um, and the scenario you're describing does frighten me a little bit. Beyond that, though, and I, actually, there's one name we haven't mentioned, and that I think I, I think I've seen you comment on Twitter, and I want to run this by you. I'm not thrilled with Quinn and Williams. I'm hoping for the best. He seems like a great kid. Um, I think he's you know got all the potential in the world, but. When you're the third overall pick, you're really hoping for an impact player, and I don't think you can make the argument that Quinnen Williams was an impact player for the Jets this time. I don't believe in taking best player of available. I really think you should take best player available at a position of need. You can define position of need rather narrowly, or you can define it very broadly. I would have much preferred Josh Allen. Not that I think Josh Allen is a you know head and shoulders better player than Quinnen Williams. They're probably about the same. But the Jets really needed an outside linebacker last year. They didn't really need a defensive tackle. And I think that was a complication in why the Jets' defense was not what they wanted it to be, even with Greg Williams, you know, pulling a rabbit out of a hat week after week. Here's what I'll say on Quinn and Williams. I think a lot of what happened in 2019 was the usage. Greg Williams had to compensate for the fact that he had two injured inside linebackers and was playing with replacements. 
So he used Quentin Williams a lot to stunt into two gap and eat up blockers. And you see that on the film. There are a ton of plays where he's just basically running head first into three guys. And so that was what Greg Williams chose to do with him. On the instances where he let Quentin Williams loose, we saw in that second Miami game, for instance, he was a force. Now, he didn't put together the type of highlight reel that you would hope for in his rookie year, and certainly for the number three overall pick, you want to see more quote-unquote impact plays, but I think a lot of that was because of the way that he was being used in 2019. I think if you add an edge rusher to this equation and you have the two healthy inside linebackers, you'll start to see more from Quentin Williams along the lines of what you were expecting with the number three overall pick. I also think in terms of drafting him to begin with, you're talking about need. The Jets needed a pass rusher. It wasn't necessarily where that pass rush came from, whether it was the inside or the outside. I think if you looked at the film, to me, Quinnen Williams was either the best or second best pass rusher in the draft, the other being Nick Bosa, who had a fantastic year for the San Francisco 49ers. And if you went and saw, there were so many different moves that he put on display, beating double teams, all kinds of hand movement. His technique was tremendous. So... I'm not willing to say right now that he's not going to be an elite player. I still think he absolutely can be. And if he can be the type of player that he was at Alabama, then it's fine because you looked at what happened in San Francisco this year. Yes, Nick Bosa did really, really well, and so did D. Ford. But look at Armstead and look at Buckner. Both of those guys are interior linemen just like Quentin Williams is, and they were both very impactful and I would say elite players at their positions and made a huge impact in the passing game. So if Quentin Williams can be that guy that we all thought that he could be out of Alabama, and I still believe he can. He's only 21 years old, and like I said, he was used in a way that wasn't going to accentuate those traits in year number one. Then I think that it was absolutely a worthwhile pick. Let's see if they add an edge rusher to go with him. I would like to see them do something either in free agency or in the draft. They need to upgrade. They've needed to upgrade that spot for a while. But as the 49ers showed, it's not in any particular order. You can get the interior guys first and then get the edge rushers. You can get the edge rushers first and then the interior guys. Either way. If you build up a unit that can really wreak havoc on the quarterback, that's what you're looking to do. So we'll see what happens with Quinn and Williams. But going into year number two, I'm still plenty optimistic. You know, Scott, I think you may be right. I hope you are right. And I will admit that a portion of my disgruntlement about Quinn and Williams uh, and selecting him probably, you know, what's priced into this is the Jets in last draft were in a weird situation which they had the third overall pick, but then they weren't picking again until the third round. So, you know, you're, you're, of your impact players, you really need it because, you know, we traded, we traded away the second pick in order to get Sam Darnold. I think that, the pick, I think that trade still looks wise for the Jets. Um, but whoever you're going to pick at that number three spot was all you were going to get for a long while. And, you know, the, the question was, how can you do this? Now, obviously, I'm sure they're in, in Mike McKagan's mind, small and twisted as it is, um, he was probably thinking, oh, okay, I've got him in the middle and I've got Ja'Kai Polite on the outside. Um, now, of course, Ja'Kai Polite was apparently wildly uh, overestimated by the Jets. Did the, you notice that you know, we, he was on Seattle's practice squad? Did he stay there? No. Okay, because did somebody pick him up somewhere? Like, not only did most teams not start him, not only was there not a rush to sign him, not only was he not on the roster most teams were put, you know, he was an iffy practice squad guy. Apparently he had terrible work habits, 
all kinds of red flags. And maybe with you know when the Jets were in a situation where they didn't have a second round pick and they had those two third round picks, they felt a need to reach. This clearly was a gamble that didn't work out at all. And this means that you know so you had Quinn Williams who had an eh, okay kind of underwhelming for a number three overall pick year, and then you had Chuma Doga who had a eh, okay. Uh, yeah. If it was not the irony is one of the best picks the Jets made was Blisson Austin, <laughs> right? All of our, all, and maybe Cashman. You know, all all of our good picks came in the end, which is a really odd. Uh, or actually, maybe maybe all of our most um, overachieving picks uh, came towards the end, which is an unusual circumstance for the Jets. Jakai Polite, for the record, is on the Rams practice squad now after being released by the Seahawks. But I will defend the Jakai Polite pick. If you watch the tape, he was fantastic at getting to the quarterback at Florida. Oh, I, the, the, you know, the highlight film had me, you know, dancing. I was like, oh my, I, I had high hopes, like, wow, this guy's going to be phenomenal. <laughs> the problem became, as you said, it was the work ethic and the character, and you never really know how much of that is legit and how much of it isn't. The NFL teams are the ones that are supposed to know. They have all of that intel. People that are following the draft, we read the stories, we ask around, but there's only so much we can know. So I actually like that pick, and I defend Mike McKagan for making it in this sense. Even though it didn't work out, I would have liked to have seen him take some more high upside swings like that rather than drafting 20 26-year-old guys from Division 2, but that's just me, and now Mike McCagnin's <laughs> not here. <laughs> He's not here anymore, so we don't have to worry about that. Thankfully, it's Joe Douglas, and let's hope that he does a good job executing his own plan, which may or may not look similar to Jim's. We'll find out pretty soon. By the way, if you want to take a look at Jim's plan, it's up right now at TurnOnTheJets.com. Jim Garrity, senior political correspondent for National Review, host of the Three Martini Lunch, published author, and frequent guest of this podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and talking 2020 offseason with me. Really appreciate it. For those that want to check out your work or want to interact with you about the Jets or anything else online, how can they get a hold of you? How can they check out your work? Scott, thank you very much. Always enjoy it. Um, this is a cathartic ability to discuss the Jets in a great level of depth and detail um, and, and venting a great deal of frustration that I usually only get to do with my brother, father, and sons. Um, so, yeah, so I write for nationalreview.com. We are a conservative news and, and commentary website. If that's your thing, check me out there. If it's not your thing, I totally understand. This is a football podcast. Uh, I, am on, I am on Twitter at, at Jim Garrity, at Jim Garrity. Uh, and a little bit, I also have a, a kind of a pop culture podcast I do with the aforementioned Mickey White, a, a passionate Steelers fan, uh, called The Jim and Mickey Show. We're probably going to tape one shortly after I finish this phone call. Um, and so we talk a little bit of sports, pop culture, movies, TV, all that kind of stuff. So thank you very much. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, thanks, for, thanks for putting up with a non-professional sports guy offering some ideas that may be cockamamie and half-baked. And, you know, a terrible idea. <laughs> Half-baked, that sounds like the story of the Jets the last 10 years. Let's hope that that starts to change, Jim, because I hope that we have more pleasant things to talk about when we do the roundtable next year. Go ahead and follow Jim on Twitter, at Jim Garrity. Read his work, listen to his podcast, and for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.